Operator here. Welcome to the Cyberpunk Matrix Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything cyberpunk. In just a second, we're going to connect you to the cyberspace. So hold on to your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. Hello and welcome to the Cyberpunk Matrix podcast, your one-stop shop for everything cyberpunk. I am your host and operator, Alex, and today we are talking with cyberpunk author Anna Mossacat. Anna, great to have you on. Hey, Alex. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really excited about it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, We love here on on Cyberpunk Matrix podcast, we love having uh, different creators and people who are interested in the cyberpunk genre. I try to vary it up a bit, but we've been having a lot of different authors on and so i was really excited to talk to you because i've seen a lot of your stuff uh on the internet around and um yeah i've read some of your books so that's really great um so let me start off the same question i ask all my guests who join is what is cyberpunk to you how would you define it <laughs> so that's the big question because uh, we, we we cyberpunk authors uh, discuss this question like every day. It's really yeah. omnipresent and we usually will argue about it sooner or later because everybody defines the genre in a different way. Mm-hmm. So some people, for some people, it's more the cyber aspect, which is important for others. It's the punk aspect, which is more important. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me personally, uh, cyberpunk is... Uh, of course, a subgenre of sci-fi, yeah. uh, which is usually set in an urban area in a relatively close future, and which is, um, of course, very tech-based, very tech-centric. Mm-hmm. The cyber is important. Where the punk comes in is more that uh, it also explores certain um, social economic aspects more than, like, for example, space opera would do because it's closer to reality and closer to our life now. The Mm. job of cyberpunk is somehow a little bit to take today's world and project it 50, 60, 150 years in the future and try to imagine how are we going to live, what will our society will be, and how will uh, technology uh, affect our daily lives. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really interesting. Um, I never thought of it in the sense of, it sounds like it's you see it as different people define the punk to different degrees and the, yes, the every, cyber to does. different degrees <laughs> as well. Um, I just had on a, a couple of days ago, no, sorry, last week, um, it's coming up on the show, uh, Scum, who was a um, cyberpunk editor for the cyberpunk website Neon Dystopia. And uh, mm-hmm. he had a very general broader definition of cyberpunk that made it be pretty much anything you kind of wanted it to be, including the Alien franchise. So I, I thought it was interesting that for him, it's kind of very loose. Um, and then for you, it sounds like it's more specific, but also modular that you can, you know, each person adapts it and, and looking at why they define it differently based on these different parts that are more or less important to them. Um, it's it's actually funny that you say that because I am a way more liberal when it comes to the cyberpunk oh. uh, term definition than mm. many other authors are and, and <laughs> many other fans of the genre are. So I, for me, it's a very, very diverse genre and it can really go from a very close, a very close dystopian future to mm-hmm. uh, 
um, or far the future that has um, uh, you know um, spaceships involved it can be sure. very very different right. so um, it, it, I think there are just certain aspects which don't belong into cyberpunk and that's for example aliens in, in, in my opinion so that's where I okay. where I cut the where I cut the line aliens is space opera and okay. cyberpunk is really more about humans mm, okay humans interesting or what is human that mm -hmm. kind of question definitely interesting uh yeah i kind of agree with you there but i i just loved um asking the question and having the discussions because it is very hard to define it there's no mm -hmm. clear answer and as we keep on asking the question and asking people to define it that conversation is kind of you know fun to have yeah um, definitely so my next question for you is when and how did you first discover cyberpunk? So that was in the late 90s when I saw um, Ghost in the Shell. Um, mm -hmm. It came out 1995, but it took me a couple of years until I watched it. I'm not sure exactly when it was. I probably It was probably 98, 99, something like that, mm -hmm. when I saw it for the first time. And it completely blew my mind. For me, this was like, <laughs> like really, it's to this day, uh, one of my very favorite movies. I had the, this iconic poster of uh, a Motoko, you know, where she's kneeling with the gun and all the wires sticking out of her back. Yeah. I had this poster in, in my bedroom for 20 years. So, wow. um, yes, I'm a big, big fan of uh, Ghost in a Shell and uh, uh, Japanese cyberpunk in particular. I am mm -hmm. not so much, you know, I, I say it, there are two different schools of cyberpunks, in my opinion. Mm. One is the Gibson school and one is the Japanese school. And I am certainly uh, much more influenced by, by the Japanese um, cyberpunk. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, I always thought, that, well, that it was kind of a mixture of the two. I mean, you have a lot of, I guess, modern cyberpunk that kind of is set in Japan, or it seems like it's set in Japan. And I know Blade Runner was set in LA, I think, um, but it definitely has this kind of feel like, you know, Tokyo or, uh, no, parts of Neuromancer was actually set in um, in Japan as well. So I feel like it is kind of a mix, but it's interesting that you say that, yeah. Actually, no, actually, there is a big difference because this this whole Japan thing, which we have in Blade Runner and also in, in uh, Neuromancer and a lot of other uh, uh, cyberpunk works, Western cyberpunk works, come, comes from the 80s. So that's mm. where cyberpunk in, was basically developed. And sure. back then, uh, people uh, were convinced that Japan would take over the world eventually. So oh, this wow. is this, Japan was extremely strong back then, uh, mm -hmm. like China is today, basically. And mm -hmm. so, so, so this whole uh, Japan uh, influence in um, cyberpunk comes from this, basically this fear of Japan becoming the uh, dominant culture in the world. Hmm. And so the the Western cyberpunk with this, this, uh, those uh, Japanese influences is completely different uh, to the Japanese uh, cyberpunk, which mm. is like Ghost in a Shell, Akira, Apple mm. Seed, and many other works uh, mm -hmm. in manga and. In... But yeah, so so yeah, Japanese and and Western cyberpunk, a big difference, in my okay. opinion. Okay, all right. Um, so. Uh, can you give me an example of, I mean, I, I've seen Ghost in the Show, obviously, and uh, um, Standalone Complex. Uh, is there any other uh, very cyberpunk Japanese 
media that I that would be good for me to check out to then as a counterweight per se to the Western cyberpunk? Yeah, so th there is definitely Akira, which is um, even older than Ghost in the Shell, right, the yeah. anime. It is uh, one of the very classic um, cyberpunk Japanese cyberpunk works. Mm -hmm. Um, then there is um, Battle Angel Alita. Oh, yeah. Well done. Um, <laughs> there is um, Ergo Proxy. There is Gans, which is a little bit different. Mm. It go goes more into the Matrix uh, cyberpunk, so more virtual reality and so on. Um, Apple Seed, of course, is also really very famous and great cyberpunk. There is a lot of yeah. stuff. And Blame is also, or Blam. Is also yes. Japanese. Blame, right? yes. I, I, I love yes, the artwork yes. of that. It felt very um, yes. like real world matrixy, <laughs> if you will. Yes, yes. It was actually before the Matrix, so Matrix probably was took a lot of inspiration I'm from sure, that. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure they did. And I think they took inspiration from Akira too. They they had to show people a bit of that to give them an idea of what they had in their mind for, for the Matrix. Um, okay, so I, I, I can kind of get a sense of what really draw you in, drew you into cyberpunk. Um, but why put yourself through writing a novel, you know? Um, so I'm curious to see now from the, from the writer's standpoint, why do you decide to, you wanted to write cyberpunk novels specifically? And was that the first thing you wrote? So I have been a professional writer all my professional life. Okay. Uh, I, after, um, graduating high school, I went to film school and studied screenwriting. And so I worked as a screenwriter at the beginning of my career mm. and later as a game writer. Mm. And after that, uh, I started writing novels. Mm. Um, I first published my first novels, um, back in Germany. And, um, since I moved to the U S I'm publishing in English, mm. um, and cyberpunk. So basically since I saw, uh, goes in a shell for the first time that was like always in my mind that always was like um yeah working you know in my in my mind in my subconsciousness and i had the idea for behind blue eyes for probably 15 years and um oh. finally then i um once i started writing in english and had a completely different audience mm -hmm. um i decided to go um go with it and, and write behind blue eyes and i think that it is definitely my best work mm. okay uh no that's very interesting uh, but that that wasn't the was it the first novel that you wrote no okay. no i have written um, um let me see if uh, for because i pulled up uh, uh six six novels before six that no okay because i pulled up amazon here just to take a look at some of the stuff that you've written um and, uh, you know, you have Neo Cyberpunk. I'm going to ask you about that a bit later. Uh, but you have, yeah, these three novels. Mook, can you tell us a bit about that? Mm -hmm. Were those the first things that you wrote? or? There is another novel which is called Xiang, uh, uh, yeah. uh, that was my first okay. one uh, I, I wrote in German. In German, okay. And, um, and that, so actually this one I wrote in, I think, what was that, 2000? seven so this is really an oh. old one and uh what scares me about this book is that a lot of stuff i have described there it was more of a dystopian novel a lot of stuff meanwhile became reality wow. so <laughs> that's really not so cool you know if you find yourself in and in, in, in things you have imagined um 
15 years ago and, and or almost 20 years ago soon and, and this uh, things become reality. I hope it never will happen with behind blue eyes because then we're pretty much screwed when that becomes yeah, reality. Yeah, that would be really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then came the, the, the MOOC uh, MUC novels and um, those have been published with a traditional publisher and I was lucky I, I got a deal with one of the top five um, publishers in Germany. Oh, well. And uh, so I, I published this uh, series with them. However, it came with a price. Um, and that's also the reason why I'm indie now. Um, the traditional publisher wanted me to write a young adult books because they were saying, okay, that's, that's the only way we can sell uh, a woman writing science fiction as a young adult. Oh. And... Um, oh. I wasn't happy about yeah, that at all. So you had to. <laughs> so I wrote this. You had to change a bit, like the story that you wanted to make to cater to a younger audience, um, because that's what your publishers wanted. And then you went indie, and you were able to do exactly what you really wanted. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So now I'm writing exactly what I want, and my stuff is very adult. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of swearing and a lot of violence and gore and sex. So. It's definitely not yeah, young adult. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it feels very at home with cyberpunk. I mean, like, yeah, with Altered yeah. Carbon and other stories like this, where it's, it's very mm -hmm. much not young adult, uh, which is great. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> what, what was the process like for you? I mean, so I, I actually speak four languages. Um, I live in France here, and I lived in Austria, so I, I learned some German as well. And I don't think that language dictates thought, but it does does uh, influence it a little bit. I think it gives a bit of a taste, sort of, or like mm -hmm. a filter, perhaps. A little filter, but, you know, mm -hmm. something there. Is there a big difference for you in writing uh, German novels versus English novels? Yes. So English is my favorite language. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I think as, as an author, uh, even though I, pro I still speak German better than I speak English, obviously I have an accent. But um, I think that English is it, it's a simpler language than German mm. or French. But even though it is so simple, it has an incredible a variety of possibilities to express yourself. And I think that the expression in English is much, much better and much more powerful than it is in German. This is one thing for me. So I love writing English descriptions mm. and dialogues. Uh -huh just sound better in English. It's it's just how it is. It's so difficult to write a dialogue in German that sounds halfway cool. <laughs> it's really, really tough, <laughs> a tough job. Yeah. Uh, it's much easier in English. Well, what I would love to see then would be for you to find a German translator, or I guess you could do it yourself, but I know it's a lot of work, to translate Behind Blue Eyes into German and see what the effect is with the same kind of ideas and texts, but just in German, how that comes off, you know, from the page. That would be interesting to see. It probably won't come off as, as good as it does in English, I, I, I have to say. I'm planning to translate it eventually uh, myself, mm -hmm. um, and I, I know it won't be easy. <laughs> um, all right, so I, I do have questions for you about Behind Blue Eyes, but I want to do mm -hmm. really one quick question because I asked many guests I have on the show as well. Uh, what is your favorite cyberpunk media? Would you say it, it is that go Ghost in the Shell movie or since that date, is there something better that came along that really wowed you or something? 
So I'm also a big fan of video games, uh -huh. and I have to say that I I'm a little bit torn. I'm not sure if, if my favorite medium for cyberpunk are movies or video no. games. Mm. I'm of course a big fan of um, Cyberpunk 2077. I've been playing this for I don't know 200 oh, hours wow, or something. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've seen everything in this game, and uh, but I'm even more actually. I'm a fan of um, the Deus Ex games. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, they are very very cyberpunk, mm -hmm. and um, I love them. They have a great story, and and I love the character of Adam Jensen. Mm -hmm. So. Um, uh, video games are, and there is also um, Observer, which is also fantastic. It's a cyberpunk horror oh, game. Yeah. I can very much recommend. Scary as shit, but it is really good. So I love video games, and cyberpunk is a fantastic medium for video games. So I'm a little bit torn. Um, so probably it's between it's between video games and anime. Well, you can say one favorite movie and one favorite video game. That that's fine because <laughs> it is different media. It's true. Okay, so my favorite, the, the favorite uh, uh, movie would be Ghost in a Shell, the original one from 1995. Mm -hmm. And the video game would be probably um, Deus Ex, Human Revolution. Human Revolution. Okay, yeah. I really like Human Revolution. Um, I, I'm more of a first-person shooter, kind of Halo style. So I liked it, but it wasn't quite as much my bread and butter. Uh, it, it, there's situations where they really encourage stealth, where I was like, come on, I just want to shoot, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not good with that yeah. either. Uh, but but uh, Mankind Divided, um, I really struggled with some parts of that campaign. So I, I hate to say I never actually finished the game because you know, I, I tried two or three different times. I got stuck in certain places and I said, nah, I don't really, I don't know. It should be flowing very easily. And I just, yeah, it wasn't the same as Human Revolution for me. Yeah, I think Human Revolution is mm -hmm. the best. Talking about... Nephilim and Behind Blue Eyes. I'm really excited for that. So, yes, yes, me <laughs> so, too. <laughs> of so course. let's get right into it. Mm. Um, where did you, you know, when I was reading the story, I mean, I haven't finished all of it. I started it and then I had to start reading these other stories. Um, but I definitely got a bit of Motoko, the major mm -hmm. sense from Nephilim. But um, let me just ask you, where did you get your inspiration for Nephilim? And uh, by the way, I loved all the names of these angels. Um, it was very cool. <laughs> well, thank you. So yeah, the names are, they all have angel names because mm -hmm. uh, the whole unit is called the guardian angels. And um, it will be explained later why um, they have been named so. Um, okay. But that's rather at the end of the book. So I won't, I won't tell you that. And so I don't spoil okay. you anything. Right. Um, <laughs> so they all have angel names and um, for me Nephilim, yes, I certainly was very much inspired by uh, Motoko uh, who is like probably my, my favorite heroine um, but I wanted Nephilim to be much darker and uh, mm. she's a little bit of a, like a evil little sister of uh, Motoko um, <laughs> because yeah. I mean um, no matter what, Motoko, she does the right thing. She is she is the good guy, you know, mm -hmm. and and uh, she's definitely a hero, even though she has anti-hero um, qualities to her. Sense, yeah. mm -hmm. Whereas uh, Nephilim and the other cyborgs of of her unit, they are not the good guys, even though mm -hmm. they they call themselves the good guys. So I wanted mm -hmm. to go much darker there and and. Uh, 
I also had the idea I wanted to have characters who are really killers and really do horrible mm -hmm. things, but mm -hmm. still manage to make readers love them. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it's very interesting and like uh, it was quite a striking lot. I won't spoil it for listeners who haven't even started your uh, the first novel, but uh, uh, quite a bit of gore going right into it yes. um, in those first couple scenes. And I, I really liked it. And it's funny because right now I'm I'm reading another great cyberpunk series, um, the first novel being Sleep State Interrupt by uh, Ted Weber. Oh, yes. And, uh -huh. I uh, love that one. Mm -hmm. His novels are totally the opposite of that. So it's more of the uh, journalistic cyberpunk, the... Uh, you know, using information as a weapon, fighting against the corporations, but through exposure and media and not through violence as much. Um, although I'm reading the second book right now and there's a bit more, well, a little more action, but definitely nothing to the extent, to the level that um, we're getting in uh, Behind Blue Eyes. But I, I really enjoy it because I think some of these more uh, strong, gory, uh, visceral scenes um, they really stick with you, and it's something that is that that makes it, it comes really well in in cyberpunk. That you're supposed to be shocked, you're supposed to be horrified. There's like a certain level of horror that I think Alter Carbon, for example, did pretty well. Yes. Um, and I I really liked it in in Behind Blue Eyes personally. Um, but yeah, so like just the juxtaposition of those two is is, is kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> I, I bet. I mean, that's the great thing about cyberpunk that everybody writes it differently and and mm -hmm. and sees it differently. So this is this is really really cool about it. For me, I um, I really like write uh, writing action scenes, and I also like mm. writing very violent action scenes. I like to shock <laughs> people. Yeah. Uh, when I was still working in, in the movies, I made some short films and uh, I made horror films and I really liked sitting mm -hmm. in, the, in the movie theater and watching people, how they watch the movie. And I knew, okay, now, now it's going to come mm -hmm. the, the, the jump scare. And I, yeah. I watched them being scared and that was really fun for me. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoy writing stuff that is a little bit shocking. And mm -hmm. I think cyberpunk is, is a very very good genre for that because it is mm -hmm. dark it is gritty it can be violent so yeah. um um yeah i think it fits really it, there is also i mean there's also a lot of sex and and, and behind blue eyes that's also something that is an ultra carbon um I, yeah. I i definitely took also inspiration from that because it is it, oh, is, okay. it is violent and it's it is very uh, filled with sex and um that's also something i wanted for my books and i saw it works really well in hydric carbon so i thought okay then i can do that too mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. interesting and that kind of leads me to my next question which was what was the process for you like of writing behind blue eyes i mean it sounds like you had a background in writing so it wasn't as difficult for you um was it difficult writing cyborgs for example like those I mean, because character, you know, authors write what they know, um, but cyborgs, we don't have any cyborgs <laughs> nowadays, not that I know of. So, yeah, what was that uh, process like for you? I, I have to say I'm really obsessed with cyborgs. I, I love cyborgs. I, <laughs> I um, So even before I um, saw Ghost in a Shell, I played a video game in the 90s. It was called Syndicate. And I'm, mm, I'm not sure if you know that game, but you, you basically you customize your, your own cyborgs there. And Ooh. and then you, you sent them off into into the field against other cyborgs, and that was it fascinated me so much 
when, mm. when I saw it for the first time uh, mm. or played it for the first time. And it, it basically stuck with me um, until today, uh, mm. to the present day. So cyborgs are my thing. And I spent a lot of times when I wrote Behind Blue Eyes and developed it, I spent a lot of time um, creating the cyborgs. So when you mm. read the book, you will... Uh, learn how they function everything how they are is logical um, you know how, how their bodies function and how they have this 60 40 uh, ratio of 60 machine 40 human and mm -hmm. um, how their cooling system works and why they don't need to sweat and so there's all a logic for the cyborgs you're saying yes yes I, I put a lot of uh, uh, thought into them and General, how I write is I am more of a plotter. So I, when I started writing Beyond Blue Eyes, I had the whole story in my head, which are six mm -hmm. books. So um, everything that happens in, in book one um, has, has a reason. So everything, basically everything that happens in the whole series will lead to the big showdown um, in the last book. Uh, mm -hmm. so that's basically how I work. I really always have the big picture in my head and then fill it up with smaller things. Well, that sounds super exciting. And now I really want to get the whole series. <laughs> <laughs> so but, book three um, is, is about to, to come out next week. And I'm really excited about that. Oh, great. But then that means that, yeah, if I were, able, were to read the first three, I'd have to be, I'd have to wait for the next three <laughs> to see this big showdown. Um, but that sounds really exciting. Um, I wanted to also say that uh, your 6040 and every logical reason for everything in the cyborgs sounds very German. <laughs> <laughs> and it's wonderful bringing that element to it. I think the most important thing that we can have for cyberpunk genre is to bring as many different voices with as many different cultures and, you know, ethnicities and gender and like as many different kinds of people as possible. And that's why I think like it's great to have female writers and if we could have some trans writers and like you know uh all these different elements that give a different voice or perspective to the novels because in the future there is no there are no differences between people and that's one of the reasons why i love elder carbon so much you know you, you have someone's stack put in someone else's body a body is just a sleeve it doesn't matter it doesn't mean anything what matters is the mind you know and so having these different um you know, different authors and different perspectives. It's not just a stereotypical Western white male book, you know, like obviously these books are different, but I, I really enjoy reading things from, from different people is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's the great thing about the genre. It is really very diverse and there is a lot of different authors and a lot of different possibilities to tell the story. And I think it's funny that you say that's like the, the 60 40 ratio is German because yeah, I mean, it makes sense if this is German <laughs> engineering. So I think I approached the, the, the whole engineering of the cyborgs in a very German way. Now that, now mm -hmm. that you say it, yes, actually, yes. I mean, <laughs> the Mercedes Benz of the future. <laughs> yes. Uh, but that's also something I am. I'm. I'm a creative person, but I'm also a very logical person. So for me, mm -hmm. everything always needs to be logical and could somehow work um, the way it does. That's why I I prefer writing science fiction and I don't like fantasy very much. I read it, but I don't like mm -hmm. writing it because um, I. So because for me, fantasy is everything is just magic, you know. So someone mm -hmm. someone just does magic and everything is fine or not. 
And I, I um, my mindset is rather I want to know why things function the way they are, mm-hmm. and I want to have mm-hmm. a logical reason why something happens or yeah. doesn't happen. Well, if you like those kinds of things, uh, you might like uh, the Harry Dresden Files novels because that is fantasy uh, uh, fiction with magic. But he goes into a lot into the details of what you can and cannot do magic-wise. That it's not just some thing that happens there's rules for everything mm-hmm. <laughs> and even some rules he's not on uh, he doesn't understand but he knows that you know kind of how the system works and he loves to explain it to you um but anyways um one last thing i wanted to mention about uh the behind blue eyes series before i move on is uh, your illustrator is awesome well, where did you get such great illustrations <laughs> <laughs> uh you mean the, the covers the, the that's covers? right yeah yeah um uh, so, so my my cover designer he actually lives in Sicily, also on a small island, but in um, well on the, on the other side of you, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, he um, I found him over um, ninety nine designs for for another project I did before Behind Blue Eyes, and we became friends. And uh, now he's doing all my covers and I have introduced him to plenty of other authors. And he is now one of the uh, um, cyberpunk uh, cover designers, actually. So it's it's really funny oh. because other authors said, oh, yeah, I love the cover who made it. And then I introduced <laughs> them and now he's, he's having so much work. He's saying, OK, Anna, please don't bring me new customers. Uh, I I can't do that much. Um, So, yeah, I really love him. And uh, we've been basically growing together on on the covers um, Uh because my my Behind Blue Eyes covers were the first cyberpunk covers he made. So we've been basically working on this together. And um, he has a lot of patience with me. And, uh, (laughs) yeah. Well, I'm really excited to see what kind of badass cover he has for book six let me tell you <laughs> well i, I already I already, comes out. I already have it in my head you know and he uh, i already have them basically designed he he just needs to do them <laughs> oh my gosh that sounds great <laughs> yes. um well okay it's 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 a shame he doesn't want more business because uh, i would love to also have him on a podcast um i've been looking actually for um you know, we've had many writers now. We've had some editors, uh, some YouTubers, um, some people who just simply like the genre. But no, no artists, no, no illustrator artists. So that, that would be really interesting to have somebody with that kind of background on the show. So maybe, maybe someday. Oh, I have, I have, I have the right guy for you. I have a friend um, who does fantastic uh, cyberpunk artwork. He is not my cover designer. He is like. Um, he has a lot of art if you see it you maybe have seen it on social media somewhere and mm-hmm. um he also sells it over over various uh, platforms so um he's really really good and if you want i can i can give you his uh, okay his name and his email yeah. address and uh, yeah, i'm, I'm sure i'm sure that would be fan- a fantastic conversation because he's your, your really... friend your friend isn't hosan gonzalez is it no, no, his, <laughs> no. His name is um, the the his artist name is Karim God. If you maybe have seen uh, something of him, yet. maybe I saw his work, but I I didn't know who it was. He also um, he also has done several illustrations for me. He has made some uh, Nephilim um, portraits for me. 
so yeah, we we have been cool. friends for a couple of years now. So I I will happily give you uh, his name and email address, and maybe you two can have okay. a nice conversation because he's really cool. Okay, sounds great. Um, let's bring the the conversation back to. Uh, the present, the, the nowadays, uh, mm. for a second. Um, so what do you think of the state of the cyberpunk genre specifically today? Um, and, and what about its future? So I guess the question why I'm asking you this is because, you know, we had Altered Carbon that was adapted into the series on Netflix, and then season two didn't do so well, so they canceled it. And then we had Cowboy Bebop adapted to live action that didn't do well either, so the second season was canceled. We have uh, Matrix Resurrections that was, you know, coming back to that classic series of the Matrix, and then it was uh, polarizing. Some people loved it, some people hated it, and I feel like, you know, it didn't do so well in the box office. Maybe because of HBO Max, we don't know. Um, but the the future of the Matrix uh, series also is kind of a question. So a lot of these big titles, also Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven you know, super hyped up and then also the polarizing. Do you think that the future of the cyberpunk genre is positive? Like a lot of good things are coming out or do you feel like it's a bit on the decline because of these hidden misses? So I think um, um, Cyberpunk 2077 is, is a good example, actually. It, it did extremely well. So even though at mm -hmm. the beginning it had all this hate campaigns against it, it mm -hmm. outsold all other games. And, uh, and now that they fixed it and brought out the patch, it again um, has been selling mm -hmm. like crazy. So this game is mm -hmm. one of the most successful games ever made. And um, they will probably make a multiplayer of it and maybe a second part. So then there mm. are other uh, cyberpunk games. Um, a lot of indie studios are producing um, cyberpunk and um, also more bigger titles coming up. So I think in the video game section, it is very, um, very alive and uh, probably mm. will stay that way. Movies okay, and TV, good. I mean, um, while well, they are making a new Blade Runner live action series and uh, Ridley mm. Scott is actually on the helm. That's so, right, yes. Mm. So I think it is It is also alive, maybe not as much as it could be. Cowboy Bebop, I mean, it flopped because they, you know, they didn't listen to the fans. It, it is a... It is a show that has such, such a huge fan base and it's like a you know, a cult a show. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, so if you have such source material, you really have to respect it more, in my opinion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they they did that to themselves, which is a shame. Mm -hmm. And um, but I mean, there's there was also this new animated uh, um, Blade Runner Black Lotus, which I mm -hmm. haven't seen, but um, people say it's pretty good. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, there is stuff happening. And and uh, um, for me, the <laughs> the medium which is doing worst is actually books, and that's where, oh. I, where my big concern is, and that's also something uh, we cyberpunk authors and our different groups discuss a lot, uh, mm. what is our future in the genre, and um, it's difficult, uh, and one of the reasons for that is that the books, cyberpunk book genre is stuck in the 80s very much. So it is still very strongly influenced by, you know, William Gibson and Stevenson and others from that period. 
So it has something retrofuturistic and it has plenty of tropes which are simply not um, not so popular anymore. And so it really has a little bit of a um, problem that people perceive it as old-fashioned and um, mm-hmm. kind of backwards. And it's really difficult to convince them otherwise. So even though cyberpunk is strong in video games and movies, it is a tiny niche in books. And um, that's something I am trying to change a little bit with some other authors. We work on that Mm -hmm. together. And I really would like to revive the genre and make it really popular again, because it's, it's, in my opinion, uh, the most exciting and most innovative uh, science fiction subgenre so it's a shame uh, that uh, not more people like it and that's because it has like a bad image and so I hope that we can change that and show that um, cyberpunk literature isn't just neuromancer it's so much more and there is yeah. a whole new generation of authors uh, who are incredibly diverse and uh, write uh, phenomenal stories so mm-hmm. That's just uh, our job to show the audience that we are there. Well, it's really interesting that you see that. And uh, it's, it's shocking for me to hear that uh, the cyberpunk novels uh, business is on the decline because mm. I mean, I'm reading so many more cyberpunk novels than I've ever had before, maybe partly because uh, I have a cyberpunk blog and I have to review these things, but it's just, you know, it's my passion at the same time. Mm. And, and perhaps before it was a bit harder for me to find these things, and now I know where to look, um, so it's a bit easier. But um, you know, we, I had another author, um, I think Elias J. Hurst, who was saying that I think he corresponded with you on the Neo. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, Cyberpunk, he was uh, he had a story in the first Neo Cyberpunk. He said that he wrote a book that didn't realize he didn't realize he was cyberpunk, and then his editor said, you know, put the cyberpunk name on it so that it sells better. And he said, what's that? <laughs> and that's what got him so you know so that made me think you know so cyberpunk is definitely a genre that can help sell more than just science fiction um, but I, I really hope they can get better in the future um, so I, I think know. I think that the editor basically didn't know what what they were talking about because uh, cyberpunk is a difficult set it's difficult to 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 uh, find an audience and and sell the books uh, because of the bad image it has among readers, uh, for for various reasons, not only the you know the retrofuturism, but also that it's bleak and it's so dark, and um, mm-hmm. people prefer escapism and so on. So it is uh, difficult, definitely difficult to sell, and it's much easier to sell um, a space opera or something like that. Oh, so um, putting the, the putting the uh, you know the label on it if it's not really cyberpunk is probably not the best idea because it, it's difficult to market. Right, right. No, but for this case, it was definitely cyberpunk. He just didn't know what the genre was at the time, mm. and then he realized, oh, this is all the stuff I've always loved. I just didn't know what the term was. You know, so, so that was him coming, discovering the the name itself. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. I would think that for me, at least, one big draw of cyberpunk is we have now more than ever in the news in particular, like I feel, and I guess I'm skipping a bit ahead here, but it feels like cyberpunk is very now in many ways. And I know that kind of, you know, probably Gibson would have said that cyberpunk was now like 20 or 30 years ago, but, you know, you we have 
we had this pandemic that completely changed the way that all these people were living and experiencing the world. It, it, it was a huge push towards virtual reality. And then we have Facebook with Meta, the Metaverse, which was a name from Snow Crash. And now that we're slowly coming out of this pandemic, we're not even quite out of it yet. All of a sudden we have Russia and, and, and the attacks there. And, and it's the first time that we're having an economic uh, war, I guess you could say, where the whole world is doing economic sanctions on one country to kind of have them stop the war. And it makes you think, okay, these things were probably talked about in cyberpunk novels. What else can they predict for the future? What is coming? Because these things that you never would have expected in, in the past are happening now. Let's dive down, dive deep into these novels to see what could be coming around the bend, which of course, any proper cyberpunk novel, we hope it never comes to pass, but it, it could show some warning of what could come to pass or something that, that, that might be coming, you know? Yes, definitely. I mean, um, probably cyberpunk is not now yet, but we're getting there. For me, what most mm. people don't realize, of course, everything you just uh, mentioned is there and it is very cyberpunk, actually. But um, the biggest thing that is coming towards us, like a tsunami, and most people don't even realize that this tsunami is coming, is, the, uh, <laughs> is the automatization. It's called mm. the second industrial revolution. And this is something no one of us will escape. And mm. people don't realize what it means. It means uh, that um, up to 90% of jobs will get lost uh, due to automatizations. They will get lost to machines. Mm -hmm. And uh, this will change the world in, in a way we, we can't even imagine yet. And this is coming. I, 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 the only way to prevent that would be for people to wake up and realize it is coming and really stand against it. And uh, governments would have to make uh, regulations on it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, for example, tax uh, companies who use um, robot uh, workforce instead of um, humans and tax them so much that they consider if it's really if it's really worth it or not. But the problem is that governments are all bought and corrupt and um, they know it is coming. And um, so what what will happen is that uh, a very small percentage of people will get extremely rich from that, like rich mm -hmm. as we can't even imagine. And yeah, everyone else will already. be asked. So yeah. this is bad. Yeah. This is really, really bad. People yeah. don't realize it. But yeah, in, so. in 20 years already, we will have so many jobs lost. We will have autonomous driving cars. So we, we won't have uh, truck drivers. We won't have cab drivers. We won't have mm -hmm. Uber drivers. That's like mm -hmm. the first wave. We won't have people working in fast food restaurants or in restaurants in general. Um, eventually, we, we will have uh, robots doing healthcare in hospitals or in nursing homes or in you know um, kindergartens and so on. This is this is all step by step coming and and it's it's coming rapidly. And then what are we gonna do? We, we will most people will lose their um, income. Wow, yeah. So then hopefully we would have some sort of universal income universal basic income or having regulations, like you said, kind of stop this from happening, which is, 
kind of the warning I feel like that cyberpunk is. It's trying to paint a picture of what, where we shouldn't go. Um, and that way it's kept relevant today because we need to know what kind of rules we should be implementing now. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree with you about that. I, I read an article the other day about how because of the pandemic, um, there aren't, oh, I mean, and most recently the gas prices, people who are working for Uber, you know, no one wants to go anywhere because they, they can work from home and those who can go, driving around in circles isn't worth the cost of fuel because of the war with Russia is hiking up the gas prices. And so it's, it's not worth it for them to be Uber drivers anymore with this gig economy. Yeah, and, and and I mean they will be obsolete um, anyway soon enough, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And and if you imagine, okay, Uber drivers, that's already bad, but all the truck drivers, that's millions of people that will be yeah. out of their jobs. Yeah, the, and, the only thing I feel like we can do is we somehow we have to move towards uh, uh, servicing these autonomous cars, right? So like it's kind of like something that we've seen in the grocery stores that at first there's always a teller. Right, there's always someone who's bagging your groceries or like, you know, you know at, the, at the cashier. And now you have automatic cashiers, but there's still someone who's standing there who's paid, but they're there to help when a weight problem happens or the machine doesn't quite work and so you need someone to be there. So like changing the type of job to complement technology perhaps is the only way to kind of deal with the rapid pace of technology. Yeah, but that will be 10% of the people who have the jobs now. If you look at it like mm. uh, at Walmart where you had, I don't know, 20 cashiers sitting next to each other. Sure. And now you have two and, yeah. and the rest are, uh, you know, uh, the automatic cashiers. So mm -hmm. uh, for a long time, I was boycotting this because I was saying, okay, I don't want to destroy the jobs of those cashiers. So I always mm -hmm. went to them instead to the machines. But of course, most mm -hmm. people use the convenient thing. And even if you have someone who watches the machines, it's one person instead of many. And it will be the same in, in restaurants and, and mm -hmm. all other um, servicing and also manufacturing. So mm -hmm. uh, we can't all uh, supervise the robots. Still, um, nine of ten will won't be needed. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Although we should supervise all the robots to make sure they don't rise up and kill us all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's of course the other thing that uh, uh, science fiction authors love to uh, talk about: uh, the robots killing us. I personally am not so scared of that. I'm really much more scared of the economic change that um, mm -hmm. they will bring, and it won't be pretty. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I have well, another book series under my pen name, AK Mossy Cat. And it's called Cyber Squad, and it is a cyberpunk um, lit RPG series. And that's the world um, in this series that the world is has become exactly like this. So the automatization has destroyed most of the jobs, and people live oh, wow. in uh, virtual reality and are being mm -hmm. kept on universal income so they don't starve and otherwise shut up and uh, use virtual reality for everything. And mm -hmm. um, so this is the world which is set in, and it's actually a pretty realistic world. And um, well, then the story is about you know uh, people um, uh, helping keeping the uh, the virtual reality safe because um, if you mm -hmm. connect your brain directly to video games, if you have bugs and glitches, they can kill you. Mm -hmm. Wow, that sounds super interesting. <laughs> um, I definitely want to look at that. <laughs> um, 
All right, um, I, I think I do need to wrap up soon, but I wanted to ask you one last thing that we, we didn't cover in the list of things I wanted to ask you, Anna Masakat. Um, what do you think of the cyberpunk community? I guess specifically the authors. It sounds like you've worked several times on uh, you know, an anthology series. Um, I think, I'm not sure if you've also participated in Cyberpunk Day on October 10th. Uh, what do you think of the cyberpunk community that's out there right now, especially the authors? So I invented Cyberpunk Day uh, uh, originally. Really? <laughs> so of course I know it. Uh, meanwhile, mm -hmm. I'm not doing it anymore, but I am, I am um, one of the two people who organized the neo-cyberpunk anthologies. And the mm -hmm. anthologies are um, basically have the, the goal to bring more people into the genre uh, and also show how diverse the genre is that it's not mm -hmm. like only the 80s uh, uh stuff it's it's really modern and there are plenty of authors who uh, everyone um uh, tells the genre in a completely unique way so this mm -hmm. is this is why um why i'm doing this and it's actually doing pretty well so for an anthology it says really well and of course it's a lot of work but it's i love the genre so much that it's really worth it for me to, to put all those um effort into it and also help uh young authors who are you know working on their first novel and haven't published anything to, to give them a platform where they can publish um something so this is this is that and yeah i'm i'm, I'm really well connected i probably know most um indie cyberpunk authors who are around and um, I'm very active on social media and um, I'm in several authors groups and yeah we have discussions all the time and argue all the time about what is cyberpunk <laughs> uh, so it is definitely it is much more alive than, than people think well that's wonderful is there a discord that I can join where these arguments are happening or <laughs> oh those, those arguments are, are all all uh, only between authors, you know, because on okay. the outside, we always try to, to, to stand united as much as we can, uh, <laughs> because we are such a small niche, there is really only few of us, and it's mm -hmm. difficult enough for us to, to sell our books. So I had mm -hmm. the idea two and a half years ago when I started, uh, before I published um, Beyond Blue Eyes, that maybe we should work together and try to build something together so mm -hmm. it will be easier for, for every one of us. So, proactive um, to fight against the corporations. <laughs> and, you know, yes, actually, yes, we are the true cyberpunks <laughs> because the corporations yeah. are the big publishers and yeah. we don't have the money they have. Uh, we only have our uh, each other and, and our readers and um, so but yeah, if someone wants to support real cyberpunk, uh, they should read India authors because we are the cyberpunks. Well, if, if you were true cyberpunks, then you would learn how to hack these corporations and steal their money yourselves. Get those NFTs. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we are, we're just authors, you know, we're not hackers. We have no idea how, mm -hmm. to, how to work a computer. Some of us are really mm -hmm. bad at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe one day uh, uh, it will happen like in Snow Crash and you'll hack the minds directly with your words. And, uh, That's, of course, all... every author's dream, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the pen is mightier than the sword. That is true. Um, all right. Well, I won't take up any more of your time, Anna, but thank you so much for coming on. It's really been a pleasure to speak with you. Um, you, have a, you gave us me a lot of things to think about, and it's very interesting to, to hear your perspective. Um, 
where can I find all of your work? Is it just on Amazon or is there better yes, I'm on... so corporate places to get your work? <laughs> no, so I, uh, that's, that's, that's the, actually it's ironic because we, uh, <laughs> we can't exist. We, um, indie authors can't exist without Amazon, which is like one of the big corporations. But if we have a minute, mm. I would like to talk about that real quick because it okay, is maybe sure. ironic, but it is, um, we are also not hypocrites. Um, mm. Amazon, of course, has its dark sides. That's definitely no, nothing uh, to argue about. However, without Amazon, there would be no indie authors. Amazon mm. has broken up um, the old system of gatekeepers mm-hmm. and uh, gave us the opportunity to publish what we want and bring it out to our audience directly through Amazon. And wow. basically Amazon well, strengthened um, freedom of speech and freedom of expression through that immensely. So for all people who say like, oh, I don't want to buy anything at Amazon because they're evil. Uh, okay, then buy, buy your shoes at the small store uh, next door, mm-hmm. you know, instead of mm-hmm. buying them by uh, at Amazon. But buy your books on Amazon, mm-hmm. buy mm-hmm. indie books on Amazon, because you are supporting um, uh, artists, individual artists who mm-hmm. couldn't exist without Amazon and who rely on readers um, uh, getting the stuff from there, because we can't just sell our stuff in the bookstore next door. They won't let mm-hmm. us. They mm-hmm. are all working together with the big publishers. So um, they're gatekeeping us. They don't let um, anyone in who isn't part of the elitist club. So the mm-hmm. only way for us is Amazon. Uh, so just, just for, to consider it, they are not just evil. They are also doing a lot of good. And okay. um, so, yeah, you can find all my books on Amazon under Anna Mosikat and AK Mosikat, which is my little RPG um, pen name. Uh, also check out uh, Neo Cyberpunk. Um, so it's easier to find my books um, just behind blue eyes. That's much easier than my name. Uh, okay. If you type in behind blue eyes, you will find my books even above the who. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but it is it is uh, like that on Amazon. Um, and check out Neo Cyberpunk, which is the anthology. We have two books out now. If you want to simply see what's out there in cyber in the cyberpunk genre, that's the perfect way to uh, have a glimpse into it. So check it out. Otherwise, who wants to get in touch with me? I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. Um, you find me under my name because I'm the only person with that name. <laughs> well, another uh, cyberpunk author, also female, uh, S.C. Jensen. I think you're familiar with her. Um, she she called you the social media queen, so oh, really? uh, it's definitely great. <laughs> You're very good at social media or something. So I, I, yes, I have I, I I am good at networking, and uh, yes, yeah, so so Sarah Jensen and I we are friends, and we are actually working close <laughs> together on um, bringing the cyberpunk genre forward. So she is a big ally, and um, yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's also a lovely person, and I'm really I, I feel flattered that uh, she speaks of me like that. That's great. <laughs> well, it's good. Yeah, everyone's kind of supporting each other out. So that's, that's really wonderful. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Anna. This has been really fun. Um, you've been listening to the Cyberpunk Matrix podcast, your one-stop shop for everything cyberpunk. 
If you liked what you heard, make sure to give it a five-star review on iTunes and make sure to also check out our blog at cyberpunkmatrix.com. This has been your operator, Alex, over and out. You have just been in the cyberspace with your host, Alex. Welcome back to the desert of the real. If your upload was smooth, leave a five-star review on iTunes and subscribe for more content.